welcome to the second episode of Phone Talks, Talent Edition. I am your host, Miram Koyman. Guests on this episode are photographer Rahima Gambo and Aziza Armel, assistant curator at Kunsthalloween. The two collaborated during Bamako Encounters, the African Biennale of Photography and Video Art in Mali in 2019, and they are still working together. In this conversation, we will delve deeper into Rahima's work and her approach. Encountering Rahima's work Tatsunia in the Foam Talent Exhibition is to be surrounded by sound, illustration, photographs, video, text, and even plants. It's a playful jumble of media in which we see schoolgirls from Nigeria dressed in pink robes, playing, laughing, clapping. It's quite a different picture from what you would expect when you then find out that these young women are actually final year students from a school in northeastern Nigeria that was attacked by Boko Haram terrorists in 2013. Rahima Gambo visited the school in 2017, not to focus on the trauma of what had happened, but to undertake a performative workshop with the students to create an alternative story that allows these girls to be girls, not victims. So, Rahima Gambo and Hasisa Amel, um, thank you so much for, um, uh, for joining us in, in Phone Talks. Um, and first of all, how did the two of you actually get to know each other? Want to start, Rahima? Uh, it's through um, Bamako encounters. It was through email. <laughs> yeah, through email. Um, but I think we finally met in Bamako, and I just had this sense, like when I first met you, Aziza, that you know this is someone who's like of my generation, with like this sense of like this multiple eyes, and sort of this sense of multiple worlds. And I can sort of always tell, like those of us who sort of straddle that edge. <laughs> and I think it was really refreshing as well that, you know, there are curators that are my peers as well. Like we are of the same generation. It isn't like this, there isn't like this sense of like this unreachable barrier of like a, who a curator could be. Um, so yeah, but those, those are my first impressions of you. <laughs> That's great. Wow. Uh, this is really nice because I never heard this. Yeah. I mean, it's true. We met through, through, through Mako and, um, and it, and, and I remember like when I first saw your work, I mean, this like was the first encounter, right? With Rahima, it was, it was really through your work and it was pretty, uh, we were all quite, I think, impressed and very touched by it. And, it was, I mean, I will talk more later about it, but it was really beautifully fitting the theme that we were all like trying to put like words, you know, as, as, um, as much as we could on it and by like conceptualizing it. And then like, it was all somehow, you know, materialized in, in your work. So it was, it was really like a powerful encounter with, with, with your video and, and your, your collages. And then, yes, we met in Bamako. And I think it was, as, as you could see, it was quite difficult for all of us. And they, there are these moments when you finally meet, you know, like the artists and then you understand that it's all worth it. And of course, also you were so calm. And so uh, 
like cool with all the craziness you know that was going on and um and we had a very like a very beautiful and mo moving moment when when Rahima uh, did a performance uh in the uh, lycée jeune fille in Bamako and they were all the students they were all girls and they were all like going crazy and like trying to get the book of Rahima, like the the magazine the south magazine where where Rahima's work was and i don't know it was just very intense and very beautiful and yeah because this this happened in in 2019 right uh, in the context of the 12th edition of Bamako Encounters which is the historical and internationally renowned biennale for photography and video arts in uh, in Mali and um, so you were part of the curatorial team, Aziza, whereas Rahima was one of the participating artists. Exactly. And I just wanted to add, like just a bracket, that it was co-curated with my dear colleagues, uh, Astrid Sokona Lepuche uh, and uh, Kwasi Oyene Aye and under the artistic direction of Bonaventure Andy um, Kung. <laughs> It must have been great to be part of such a wonderful team. Amazing, yeah. <laughs> but also, like, I mean, it was it was a really difficult, like, it was a very difficult experience. But I just wanted to add again, like, really how when we were there and we finally met the artists, it, I mean, there were 80 artists. It was just amazingly beautiful and it was all very rewarding and, and very special. And such encounters, like, with Rahima, I think this I will just take with me like forever you know to, and this creates also like this um yeah friendships but also friendships that are also based on having like common goals and yeah common common edges <laughs> i think that's also something um um that makes phone talent so wonderful to work on because it's also based on bringing together a generation of photographers um uh, that actually don't differ in age the, uh, as than myself, so um, I can totally relate to this. And um, um, I'm really happy that you met each other there, and that there's an ongoing collaboration between the two of you that that we uh, will definitely also dive into in this conversation. But for our listeners, uh, Rahima, um, we want to make sure that we start at the very beginning. Um, you you have studied development studies uh you have a master's in gender and social policy and a second master degree in journalism um and the project with which you participate in foam talent 2020 Tetsunia, is info magazine being described as a shift from traditional linear narrative photojournalism so i was wondering would you say that your masters in journalism actually informed you on how not to approach your subject or did it actually teach you how to like how did you come from studying journalism uh, to an, the artistic multidisciplinary practice that you have now yeah like i was smiling a little bit like, through what you were saying because i just realized all of those years i spent in like higher education um that I kind of feel at this moment in time, I had to sort of like throw away just to sort of grasp or just get a handle, I guess, of what I was, what I'm experiencing in real life. Um, yeah, and I think, I mean, I studied development studies and gender social policy about, now it's about 10 years ago. 
And I think for me, learning sort of gender theory was so, I think, pivotal and sort of trickles down to sort of everything that I do now in the way that, you know, it gave me this sort of like critical and suspicious eye to whatever I was doing. And when I decided to study journalism, I felt like this conflict between my background in gender theory and sort of what I was, the tools that were being given to me in journalism school. Um, I think I went to journalism school because I was in love with storytelling mostly and I wanted to learn how to tell stories more. But I think what I found going through that process was almost like this sense of like an indoctrination and then a sense of like this worldview of, you know, there is the center and there's the periphery and you as a journalist, uh, especially an international journalist, uh, at the periphery trying to extract information to be funneled to the center, to affirm a center and affirm a worldview. Um, and I think I was always very conflicted by that, just knowing that, you know, I am from the global south and I have a different sense of, almost like a multi-directional sense of experience and reality that doesn't quite fit this sort of journalistic paradigm. Um, so when I returned to Nigeria from journalism school, um, I was again just really just hit by that tension. And the first journalistic project I wanted to delve into was about the Chibok girls, the missing Chibok girls. Um, and I started that about now, I think it's either five years ago, sort of starting to delve into it with Education is Forbidden. And, you know, producing a work that I think through the writing was very much, you know, sticking to the rules of journalism of who, what, when, where, how, trying to explain you know, how the conflict in Northeastern Nigeria was impacting students in sort of a, just a very, I need to document this period of history. Um, but then I found that in my, the images that I was taking and the video that I was taking, there was just something else that was coming through that I wanted to sort of delve more into. Um, and then I started Tatsunia, which was very much about Okay, let's start from the beginning again. I'm gonna go back to one of the schools that I went to from Education is Forbidden. And just just for our listeners, this is one of the schools that was um, uh, attacked by Boko Haram, uh, where um, the Chibok girls were uh, abducted from, right? Girls who were studying. Yes, yes. Um, it wasn't the school that the Chibok girls was abducted from, but it was during that time span, many schools were being attacked by Boko Haram. And Shio Sanda Kiremi was one of those schools. 
um, the most famous school is the Chibok school, the one that, you know, that's the one that most people know. But Chiyo Sandakirimi is a school in Meduguri, um, which is the, the capital city in Borno State. And it was one of about 10 schools in the city center that was attacked like on this, like in a span of a week. Mm. And um, a couple of teachers died, um, some students were injured. And when I went there for Education is Forbidden, it was really about the sense of just trying to document in a way like what the students were experiencing, like how could they be sort of going back to school after that horrific event or what was sort of the current state of things after that. Because an education is forbidden, you really, um, you based uh, your storytelling on both writing and photographing, right? Or did you already implement other kinds of media in that project? Yeah, it was a multimedia project that lives online. So there was a lot of four chapters of writing, um, video, lots of video, lots of photographs, illustrations. Um, and I think for me also coming from Northeast Nigeria, I really wanted to do this story justice. Like I had been in journalism school in New York and I saw like the kind of attention and resources that were given to certain stories. And I think as an independent journalist or multimedia journalist at that time, I wanted to sort of put all of that resources into telling the story in as you know complex and deeper way as possible. And yeah, I don't know whether you know of this um, long form multimedia piece called Snow, what was, it, what was it called? It was quite famous like in 2014, Snowfall or something like that. And it came out in the New York Times. And I was wanted to give that sort of like framing and importance and gravitas to this story that sort of impacted me. And I didn't see sort of anyone, well, I had pitched it to a couple of um, actually publications and none of them just, just didn't find the importance of putting so much resources into a story like this. And so I published it. It's actually online still under educationsforbidden.com. And it was from there that I like to think, well, I like to say I started to sort of wander away from journalism, because in a way I kind of saw that even just the mechanics of it, I had spent all this time and all these resources producing this story. And I think in sort of journalistic myth, this is supposed to, supposed to sort of feed back into social policy or like the social um, consciousness to sort of change or shift something. And I saw it, saw it, saw it in a way like, not acting, acting in a different way and that it was just this thing that just lived in a very inert way without sort of ticking these boxes of even informing people. It was almost, I think, I wouldn't say entertainment, but it was just there. It didn't really feed back, have that feedback loop that it was supposed to have. And I think it was from that, I was started to like just delve into other questions of okay, what, is, what does it actually mean to be a photographer and be in a space? 
and finding other theoretical sort of constructions that dealt with my intersectionalities. Um, and yeah, the complexities of the places that I was working in. Um, but yeah. And those were the questions that inspired you to kind of continue this story in, in a new form or at, at least an alternative project um, that was Tetsunia? Or did something else happen in between? Like what, what gave you the impetus to, to uh, let Tetsunia um, come to fruition from that? I mean, first of all, you know, a lot of time passed in between me doing Education is Forbidden and me finally going back to one of those schools. And in between that time, you know, I was critically looking at what I had produced and thinking about, okay, what other ways can I be in this space that is beyond just extraction or extracting information? Is there another way that, or is there something else that can come through beyond like this presumption of trauma or victimhood or the sensationalism of the Boko Haram conflict. And I went back just with a different sense of like, I am not gonna impose a narrative to what this is or my engagement with these girls. And I began sort of what I would call, you know, a not a thought out project in the way that I think Fernand Deligny, one of the theorists that really inspires me now, who wrote this series of essays called Arachne and another text, you know, he talks about this sense of this, a, a story or a subject weaving itself. And actually your purpose in a space is is really marginal in many ways. And I think when you look at Tatsunia, you can tell sort of where it comes from. And it comes definitely from a documentary, a photojournalism um, tradition. But I think it evades this enclosure where, you, where it goes into like this narrative wandering, I call it like a daydreaming. Um, and I think in that space, I started to look at like, okay, what would it mean to look at, you know, these books, like school, um, school books that they were supposed to read, but weren't reading, but using them in different ways in producing visuals. And it became like a, just a site of knowledge. Like it was a site of experimentation. Um, I was learning as well about what it means to include you know, Trin Minha's phrase, speak nearby. Um, and it became a really sort of like this an ethical guide, I think for me, of just being a different sort of documentarian or maybe like an anti-documentarian. Can, can you describe um, this, um, this sentence that uh, from Trin Minha, um, uh, not speaking about, but speak nearby, um, how did you um, find this work? Because it's a sentence deriving from uh, a famous video work she made, Reassemblage. Um, how, how did you encounter her work? And, and when did you decide, or decide, when did you um, 
um, kind of realize how that could actually be um, informing your work, how this actually really applied to what you were already struggling with? I think many times, I, I think we start a work and we don't really have, I think, the language or the phrasing to describe certain things. And when I found reassemblages, um, it was just basically a text about the work. I hadn't actually watched the video. I couldn't find it online. And it was actually months later that I actually watched the film. Um, and it was just the way that she was talking about her approach. And I think there are certain phrases that just sort of unlock a process. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm not well read on Trinity or, you know, it's hard for me to even find access of her work online. Um, but I like to think, I mean, she comes from an ethnographic tradition and in a way I see journalism as a kind of a new ethnography. I think no one, I mean, yeah, it is neo-ethnography and I think it becomes very problematic when it is, you know, being perpetuated in Africa. And I think, yeah, she just sort of gave this key about not, you know, trying to sort of bridge this gap or trying to like put explanations over sort of imposing meaning over what we're seeing. So you didn't want to speak about the girls, but you wanted to speak nearby. Like, can you kind of describe this translation of being inspired by that, by that idea of uh, Trinity Minha, um, by this uh, notion of not speaking about, but speaking nearby, how you, um, can you maybe just describe actually what you did in Satsunia? Well, I quickly found that I wanted to create a workshop with the girls that was about us creating a narrative together. And it was really about just, I think, being there and seeing what other roles that I could take in that space that was beyond just, I think, a documentarian. And making it a very, a very sort of playful experience for myself and for them. And we started making things together. And I mean, I took what I would call the archive, <clears throat> the archive of the school, which is, you know, using school books and using the classroom. So using things that are familiar, but then taking them, taking it and taking it to unfamiliar spaces. So we would read books like um, poetry for secondary school students that is out of print that I found in a bookshop. Um, and that they had never, I mean, it was never in their curriculum. And we would read through these. And then I would just propose a question and be like, can we visualize this? Or can we create a narrative from this? And yeah, just different sort of prompts started to appear. And then we would go to different spaces. Like um, one time, you know, they call it school excursion, but they had never been on a school excursion. So we went to the Maiduguri Park and Zoo for like a day. 
and just things like that. Um, and I do want to say that it is an ongoing project of, you know, just exploration of what it means to be a photographer in that space. Rahima, you were referring to yourself as a, as a photographer, which is remarkable to me because so many media are feeding into your work that I was actually wondering if you weren't moving further and further away from the medium. That is to say that in an interview that was published on the website of Eflux, uh, you expressed that photography and images themselves have a long history of violence rooted in the fact that an image cannot speak back to you. That made me wonder if you would consider photography to be a tool or a weapon. I mean, I describe myself as a photographer still, because I think I still find the medium and the questions, the philosophical questions that it poses really interesting. And I think the things that happen around the camera, in the editing process, even the history of it, and I think the history of you know, where I'm from in photography, which is Africa, West Africa with photography. You know, I find all those questions really interesting. And I think this movement away from photography isn't really sort of a movement away, but is I think it's a meditation. It really is, I think, a meditation on what photography is and what it means to tell stories with this medium. Yeah, I mean, I still call myself a photographer because I think I'm still very much interested in the philosophical questions of photography. Um, even this idea of inside and outside in photography is very interesting to me. Um, and I think within my practice, I think I'm always, I'm always interested in just this in-between space, like the gap that opens up um, between the inside and outside and like this sense of like being on the edge, I think that happens when you're a photographer. Um, but I think I started to wander, I would say, away from traditional photography. I think when I just became very much aware of my embodiment and my body and the way that my body historically has been or bodies like my mine have been historically photographed through history. And in a way it made me have this sort of double vision that I think I'm still interrogating with um, my recent work with walking. Um, I think maybe this feed feeds back into your practice. I think Aziza, um, I think this sense of being haunted and the sense of paranoia and regimes of visibility. And I think this might be a good sort of segue for you to sort of, I mean, when we spoke last, you spoke really beautifully just about I think the new work, the work that you're you're doing soon. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for for um, uh, yeah for explaining all these things so beautifully. 
Um, and also, um, I mean, as you know, it, it does uh, like talk to me for many reasons. And uh, this idea of um, uh, like that you were saying to me that the, you're, the only way for you to approach uh, the camera as a medium was through uh, like not only a suspicious uh, of the medium because of uh, of of your body or, or you, you as a black woman how you've been represented or how it has been um, photographed but also because there is a kind of like a paranoid reading of uh, of the the medium that that is a kind of a form of knowledge and for me this was really um, this was really interesting because I, I, I was also thinking myself, uh, why am I paranoid? You know, how, how do I work as a paranoid person or kind of like trying to update what it means to be like paranoid today. And, and you started by saying that you could see when you met me, you know, that I, I was like in this kind of like in between worlds. And I think this is, you know, the kind of like, um, like what happens, you know, when you are like uh, moving kind of like, you know, going from one place to another. And, and this, uh, I mean, this is of course, this is a, also a luxury, right? Mobility is a luxury. I mean, most of my family, of my friends don't, don't, don't have that. So therefore I'm even, you know, like paranoid about my own like rights and freedom and how I kind of navigate my, my you know, in certain geographies and how I work and, and why I'm asked to work in certain places. And, um, and, and I mean, I'm not really sure how to, to, to say this and how to kind of go deeper in, into the paranoid reading, but maybe I could just say that um, for me, it was also very important in, in, in your work, Rahima, that, um, uh, that there wasn't only a paranoid reading, but there is also a, like a, a reparative reading, which is this is like uh, the, the text that we were talking about, the text of F. Uh, Kosovsky Sedvig, and, and it's called Paranoid Reading, Reparative Reading. And, um, and there is this idea where she talks about uh, Klein and, and says that uh, there is a kind of a back and forth between uh, the paranoid uh, schizoid position and, and, the, and, the, and the depressed position. So it's a kind of, it's never one position, but it's like a constant back and forth. And then the healing part, the, when you're trying to make a whole out of something or kind of like when you kind of to reassemble something, you know, which I think this is why I find you, like your practice so interesting is that you have a kind of photography in reverse. So you assemble things, you know, uh, together, you know, instead of taking a photo, you know, and, and, um, and, and even, even if we try very hard to assemble these things together, and we try to repair them, um, it will never be the same as, as, as it, as what it was uh, in the beginning. And uh, this is, of course, very much related to, uh, you know, to uh, a, a photographer or an artist or like you, Rahima, coming back to a site of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of terror and, and thinking like how to, to, how to work, you know, how to work through this, you know, how to, how to, what to do, you know, and uh, um, I, I was interested, like, as like in my practice, just to kind of relate it. I, I was, um, 
uh, yeah, interested in, in this idea of, of also secrecy or that's like something precious is despoiled. And I think also like in terms of what journalism is today, we are so obsessed by this unveiling and this spotlighting and this kind of showing. And, uh, and I, I, I was also like very touched by, and I was also like very intrigued by how you could uh, talk and work through something, you know, without unveiling, with still having this kind of idea of uh, of uh, uh, of, of uh, opacity, you know, and 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 I think you know what what this um, what this idea of secrecy creates in in our societies that you know like what Michael Tossing was saying that it creates something sacred even in the most secular of societies and i was interested in this idea of holiness and and secrecy in 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 secular society or non-secular society but but at least like holiness or uh today and um uh i think also like w there is something about um uh like um this issue of secrecy as 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 the depth that seems to surface with the tearing of 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 the surface, and and you say um, that uh, like or 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 through your work, like especially I'm now emphasizing on the on the walk series um, that like by not knowing how to face this horror, you know you start um, to follow a path that is not uh, per se defined and you collect information that are found below the surface of which you can perceive with your own eyes and these are your words and and you know it's really interesting that you are so therefore you're not documenting and that's why you're still a photographer but you're you are you're dealing with with something that is invisible uh not trying to to uh, spotlight it or to to make it visible but still um just dealing with it because there is no other way. This is the only way we can uh, survive is to grieve and grieving is to, to it's a work like it's you have to to do this this work. We actually haven't spoke about uh, this work yet, a walk. Um, Rahima, can you maybe explain what this uh, work is about? Um, I actually think about a walk almost like the B side of the tape to my work, my Tatsunia work, hmm. um, it was sort of this activity that was happening as I was thinking through Tatsunia that became its own thing, its own sort of like site of experimentation and exploration. And actually it began, if, if you go back to Education is Forbidden and you look at the last chapter that I wrote as a journalist was actually about a suicide bombing that happened at the University of Meduguri. And if you look through the, those images, there is one particular image where it's of just the earth and like bits you could, if you really look closely, you can see sort of bits of clothing that a security guard had pointed to me like this is the site of where a female suicide bomber detonated her device. And I think sort of that is where my 
frag, you know, I, I was already sort of feeling this fragmentation sort of building up. And I think at that point, that was where I was like, you know, it, it sort of brought me back into my body, looking at my body and then sort of putting the camera aside and then looking at this landscape that was actually really quiet, really quaint and quite beautiful. And I started to sort of think about what it means to be, I think a figure in a landscape, also what it means to be, I think a woman disembodied and perhaps a part of a landscape. And even though this really horrific thing had happened at that site, I was thinking more in a very sort of like amorphous, abject, organic way of what it means to be a part of a land and a part of a space. And perhaps, you know, these the things that we look at are not inanimate objects, but they are living and they are animate. And just as I'm looking outwards at this subject of this landscape, it is also sort of looking back at me. And I think also, I think about that as well with Tatsunia, this sort of other, they're looking at me as well. And I think from that point, I think my idea of narrative or whatever I thought was like a linear narrative sort of exploded or imploded. <laughs> and it kind of also coincided with this grant I had received to do this project on suicide bombings and documenting them. And yeah, then it just became like, actually it's, yeah, just years of sort of this wandering. And, you know, I will use Aziza's word, this sense of just sort of drifting and feeling very ghostly, actually feeling very, very ghostly. And I think coming to terms with my own particular grief of I think what it means to be a woman um, in Nigeria. And I think the horrors that women's bodies have been subjected to. And also the sense of just pervasiveness um, about these horrors that I, you know, I, I felt that violence coming back at me through the photographic medium with its sort of silence and its enclosing presence. And for me, you know, I wanted to almost explode the camera in, in a way, kind of like remove the top and the bottom of the camera and create an outside within photography. And I think that's what led me to like my installation practice where it was really about immersion and about materiality. And, you know, when I'm looking out at a landscape, there is a desire to actually have my hands in the earth and really interact and engage with the prompts that it's giving me. 
I've never seen uh, a walk. Uh, I've never been able to see it exhibited. So, um, but what I've understood from it is that it's a video work, but it's also an installation, right? Or a video work framed by objects that you took from the walk. Is that correct? Um, it, it's, I think a walk in itself, you know, it changes at each specific location that I activate the, it, it, it is kind of like a performative work, actually, the performance. You know, I go for these walks every morning and it's just this question of entanglement and encounter that happens in a specific place that changes, at each moment changes your, the narrative that you produce from that space. Um, and I did a walk installation in Lagos um, at this small art space called the Treehouse, um, where I was collecting a lot of organic material during my walks. And not just organic material, but also sound and video. And at that time also, I felt less about like carrying like this huge camera and my phone in a way, you know, the phone itself, you know, it is almost, it reminds me almost like of a portable, like sculpture hmm. or like a mobile, you know, from the upper paleolithic sort of period that you can hold in your hand and yet, you know, it shoots a video and it, it can shoot photo and it doesn't have any errors about it. You know, it's not, it is a very different tool from, I think, what we know traditionally as the camera. And I found myself sort of shooting a lot with my phone. And I started to create these video, I will call them objects actually, because they became a part of the assemblages that I was creating. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't about like a narrative, but really just about like impressions of certain moments. Um, but yeah, so a walk in a way, it, it's evolving and it, you know, it's changing as I'm taking many tangents from my sort of original inquiry, which was really just this questioning of, you know, what it means to be completely sort of ab this abject amorphous being beyond the camera. If I can add, like, um, because maybe I mean I I I'm not sure if I if if I may, uh, Rahima, add something about this work, which uh, was always something that, like a work that fascinated me, and um, uh, there was just like this last sentence that I I have been repeating a lot, and I was also repeating it to Rahima, and it, and and in in the end of of the video, because there is a video, there is installations, there are. Uh, photographs, but they are like what Rahima says, they are all in the end objects. They are all an assemblage of of something that continues. And also like, as you can see uh, with Tetsunya and with, with the walk, like there is a, a, a beginning, like a date, you know, but there, but it, it's it's a process. It continues, and I I would even like propose that there is no date for beginning because I I feel like this work is is really like both of the works are, I have this this um yeah this uh 
this rhizomatic, I mean, like, sorry for the for the reference, but like for this really uh, very organic way of not knowing, you know, when it starts and when it begins and how it continues. And so in the end of the video of the walk, uh, Rahima says, uh, not a woman, not a plant, not a picture, not a drawing, not a body, not a landscape, not a photograph, not a sculpture, not stillness and that movement. And last time when we were talking to it, like when we were having a conversation, uh, Rahima was like, you were talking about uh, the cut and your, 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 your attempt, your continuous attempt to um, uh, soften this cut between you and, um, and, and, and the subject of, of that, that is behind the camera or, or that is, or that, that is uh, somehow related to what you also called worlding, so creating a world, like creating ecosystems. And, and the camera is, is, let's say, the cut. And, and maybe through these assemblages or through filming or through duration and through a certain form of uh, attention um, instead of apprehension to what is happening in 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 this moment um there is this 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 idea of thinking differently about about the cut and this is also what i what i was thinking why i was thinking about photographing in reverse because it's not about the cut it's about erasing the cut mm -hmm. yeah it, it sounds really meditative of course uh, um, the idea of walking is already could be considered a meditation but also bringing all these um objects together um makes it an ongoing meditation about objects uh, themselves and uh, what connects them and what makes uh, what might set them apart and how they all are yeah how everything is interconnected um so rahima would you say it's really is it that is walking kind of informing your practice as it's a form of meditation just as you were speaking, I was thinking, you know, about walking almost like a thread or like a line. And I think this idea of weaving, and I mean, it's not a special act to me. I think every photographer has this sense of wandering and walking. And it is very much a part of the process of photography. But I think I started to look at it in itself, that process as the thing itself the healing act itself and the it, it is almost like the, the act the action photography that no one really talks about and i think it is within that action of the walking or i would even say the weaving it really is the weaving connecting here and there um that is the space of like this reparation or this healing that happens. And it became a tool for me, I think, an instrument. And I think even with my work with Tatsunia, you know, it's about creating these extensions, extensions and like new tools and new models and new instruments that can soften, heal and repair this, I think, heaviness or burden or this grief I feel about photography, actually. Well, it's, it's, it's really interesting because it's, um, 
it it reminds me of the the book of Mark Seeley, uh, decolonizing the camera. It's it's to me it sounds really like your practice is is kind of a meditation on photography in that sense, in decolonizing the medium, as you have described how it has framed um, women of color like yourself um, and. Uh, maybe and how uh, both you and Aziza were just referring to um, sort of undoing the cut. Um, also because it's, a photograph can sometimes really come across as a statement and whereas it seems, yeah, as you are talking about weaving about, um, well, it, it just really seems to fit in so well into the the theme of the a 12th edition of Bamako Encounters that was um, uh, on photography as a stream of consciousness. And, and I was just curious, Aziza, if you could maybe say something more about uh, the ideas behind this theme. Uh, yeah, so I just, uh, like I said before, yeah, I was I was there as a co-curator together with with my colleagues, Kwasi Oine Aye and Astrid Sokonalopuche. And when we, the three of us, when we started working, uh, Bonaventure Dikunki already had uh, the title Streams of Consciousness and, and also like the conceptual framework. So, and I'm saying this because like, I think it all like it, the three of us took us some time to completely take and embrace like a, a position towards the concept of streams of consciousness. Hmm. And I'm going to say something about it and then maybe I can like also relate it to to why we were so like happy when 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 we when we stumbled upon Rahima's work and how 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 much it resonated with it. And um, so, so even if Bonaventure was referring mostly to Abdullah Brahim and Max Roar's, um piece, uh, like from the album uh, that that is titled "Streams of Consciousness," uh, I, I was more myself, like more thinking about uh, like William James' take on it and how how it's been used in like common language and in literature or like. Uh, and just talk about interior dialogue and thought processes that keep flowing, you know, in general. And, and what really interested me was the idea that these flows of thoughts can be somehow captured through photography, or that there is a kind of a stream of, of uh, consciousness in photography. So not for the sake or like the anxiety of having like, you know, to kind of um, uh, serve this inner voice or, or be transparent about what's going on inside and, and having to somehow document it, but more to think about like photography as, um, as a, um, like a, a potent, but at the same time, like, you know, I mean, Im important immediately, you know, because, because it shows it's, uh, it's, um, it's failure, you know, the moment the photo was done that unsettles the notions of presence and visibility. And, um, and, and, uh, and I, now when we were having conversations among us and like, you know, we were like, of course, talking a lot about, you know, listening to images and, and, um, uh, and, and in, in, in the work of Rahima, it was like really, um, like it, uh, first of all, it, 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 it resonated with, with a very literal idea of the streams of consciousness 
from like from the very beginning, not only literal, but literal in the sense that also uh, uh, Rahima's work is very much based on, I, I mean, please correct me Rahima if I'm wrong, on, on, on improvisation and, um, and um, like, uh, like there is a, an ongoing, you know, survey that is totally based on improvised paths and, and the things that are um, assembled together are, are, are will depend on the road, you know, whatever you're gonna take left or right, but also what you're gonna encounter and how you're gonna like, and the time you're gonna take, you know, to listen to what is around you or to, to, to kind of dive in what, it, what is around you. And, um, and so this is, was like one thing that, that was important, but the other thing was to kind of reinforce uh, the importance of different cognitive trajectories. So uh, in, 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 in your work, Rahima, I think also we, this is something we've been talking about that the walk or, or, or your, um, let's say kind of um, back and forth, um, um, uh, like um, uh, relationship with, with, with these girls, with these students is, is, does recognize a different spatial and temporal knowledge system. And, and even though it, it, it attempts to heal, but it's also just kind of trying to, to um, to uh, basically continue to to work and continue to take photos, even you know when there is something that has been taken out of the equation, which is maybe the faith in the medium itself, but nevertheless, you know, continuing to carry um, something. And um, and yeah, this was something that was for us quite yeah important, and also um, maybe. Um, to connect the photographic process to also the human mind and it's like physical mechanisms so like how we are um like consciously and unconsciously um uh, uh through making all these images shaping uh, our own ways of seeing and unseeing how we're shutting uh like certain things you know from um uh, from the image and um, and also like uh, we were thinking a lot about um, yeah ecosystems. I mean uh, ghostly matters. Uh, um, like we we were thinking as well about the the river as as at the same time as a, because we were next to the river and at the same time as a kind of like literal um, uh, you know because we were like as a like how how we deal where we're positioning ourselves geographically there in Bamako in, in that moment where in the north there were like uh, terrorist attacks and and kind of thinking about the river as a, as a stream. Um, but also this also rely, relates to uh, the lines that Rahima uh, traces and they, these lines are, they are like um, riddles, but at the same time, they are also um, a language that, that is not there to be uh, to be understood or to be read or or to be uh, um, how how to say this like uh, but I, I just wanted also maybe to to like apart like to go just a little bit further from the Biennale and say that um, 
there was something that I really learned as well from this work where, while I was working in, in the Dianala, which was, um, which, which, which is what it means to um, work with lines that mean nothing, you know, and, and, and not, not meaning nothing in the sense of emptiness, but in the sense that they are, they are, they compose us as 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 they compose a map, and they transform themselves while we are moving and 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 um, and and cross over into one another. And this is exactly what the the kind of the, the process you know that that we were trying to to somehow embrace curatorially, but also you know in 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 looking at photography and finding a way to to deal with it you know there in 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 mali and with all this heavy uh, history that mali had also in relation to photography but also this beautiful and amazing rich history that it had um and i just uh, wanted mm -hmm. to say one last thing that um like that these lines also like that Rahima creates. I mean, I, I don't know for me, like they, it's not that they have nothing to do with language, but but um, I feel like that language must follow them, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> Is this also informing your current collaboration as uh, Rahima told me that um, uh, her work's going to be published in uh, the next issue of Camera Austria and you are writing about her work. I don't know what work is published or if you're allowed to say something about it already, uh, but I'm just uh, curious um, um, what your current collaboration is uh, based upon. Um, well, it is about um, a walk that is still, um, still an ongoing work that I'm still developing, but actually just going back to what Aziza said um, about this idea of these lines meaning, I think, nothing. Um, recently, like, I came across this paper about Louis Armstrong, um, the jazz, um, the famous jazz composer, trumpet, trumpet player. Um, and it, it, it was about the way he scats. Um, scat is a type of um, improvisory sort of, I actually don't know the definition of scat, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's... scat. but I was thinking about, um, yeah, there's, a, there's a part in the paper where he talks about how he found out how to scat and it's a really interesting passage where he just talks about like they were recording this song and he drops the paper in the middle of the, the song and he didn't want to stop the recording. So he just sort of continued on this scatting. Mm -hmm. And I think something happens when you're, I think in this process of creating a narrative where, well, I think in my, in my experience where I sort of dropped the paper and I started to just invent or felt just this impulse to just invent something else that perhaps didn't have kind of a, a meaning that I would be able to grasp, but kind of close that gap between, I think, 
me and whatever it is I was trying to wrap language around. Um, would you say that you allow chance into the work or is it not about chance? I would say chance, but I would say just allowing just these new organs of perception to sort of open up that I was sort of recording something else. Yeah, but this is also interesting because uh, Aziza, you you were saying at one point you mentioned um, in relation to well, also uh, in relation to the theme of the of Bamako encounters, you said listening to images, um, which I think really feeds into what Rahima just said. Um, but can you elaborate on that a little bit? I, I just wanted to like just before answering your question, I just want to like uh, say one small uh, sure. thing. Uh, sorry, yes, I just because I I I mean there is something you know like you're speaking about um, like what you're saying right now about this paper that falls and you know it's just like it's really like uh, so fluxes you know like and you are for me like an artist that that continues and I know you are very like I wouldn't say uh, like. I know that you look in, into that movement, and I, I, um, I was, you know, thinking like in, when I saw your work uh, the first time, uh, like there was something that reminded me of Benjamin Patterson, who is uh, an African American artist, also from Fox, and 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 uh, he has this one work that is called Ants, and um, he kind of. Put the ants in a, in a white paper and and try to like you know take photos of the ants and then he he tries to uh uh read that as as notes of music you know and then try to um uh try to um to play it and then it, but it didn't really work you know on his face and then he said but i forgot that i was doing you know a method, you know, and I think this is very, very like it really reminded me a lot to, yeah, to, to, to this very beautiful kind of free way uh, of uh, of experimenting without kind of without completely letting go because you know because I guess we're too paranoid to completely let go now, but there is still this kind of desire of 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 finding other meanings, you know, uh, through other, uh, through other tools, you know, and, and I think this is what is really uh, interesting, you know, in, um, and, and fascinates me. And, and I'm, I think we're kind of uh, like, I think it demands a lot of courage, you know, to go there, even though uh, mm -hmm. it was, it was done in the, it was done in the 70s as well. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, you were asking me something that I forgot. I'm sorry. Uh, at one point you mentioned, um, if, if I heard it correctly, uh, you said it's, um, you were listening to images. Yeah. Yeah, this uh, is also, yes, true. I mean, this is, of course, Tina Kant's uh, work and also Rahima was like this was also at some point we were kind of exchanging some references and this is, was this was also something that uh, Rahima was mentioning but there is this this kind of just a desire to just um, think differently about about seeing you know through uh, like through attention 
and, and this attention is is not going to be done only through uh, like through just you know like the the kind of the literal way of of looking so there is a, a there is time needed you know there is care needed and there is also like a kind of you know a certain notion of something that should be at stake you know and um be it you know that's why i was saying there is courage in it not that I'm kind of glorifying notions of courage or like braverhood, but there is just this so this risk taking as like the same as improvisation or music, you know, when you kind of like, okay, I dropped the paper and I, you know, there is also something kind of pleasurable about it because there's again, uh, like a work through, you know, terror, you know, and, um, and yeah, uh, also like, uh, I mean, Akin Bodekin B, who was the one of the uh, advisor, um, uh, cultural advisor in 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 the Biennale, an amazing photographer, of course, and and uh, uh, like um, like dear friend, and he also speaks a lot about deep listening and and listening to images, and uh, he's also a wanderer, and you know we've been like talking a lot about this. Uh, walking as a kind of as a as a form of yeah as a as a tool as um could we understand that in the sense of not just looking at an image but perceiving images also as objects that have more to say than what they visually represent or is it another approach for sure i mean I, for sure but it's also about like to kind of also approach photography different you know like that there is also other things that are you know outside of this photo and to kind of you know um yeah again be to give like attention uh and try to not just consume the photo you know as in with this this speed that we have to that we usually do and it's completely normal i mean we all do that but to just kind of take the time basically would you say, uh, this is a question to both of you, um, both of your practices, Aziza, your curatorial practice, Rahima, your artistic practice, they, they actually happen or take place and are being shown on, on different continents. Um, and I'm just curious if from this Bamako encounters theme that explored the notions, uh, the notion of streams of consciousness as a metaphor for the flux of ideas, people and cultures. And as you said, Aziza also referring to the idea of, of the river. Um, I'm curious how you both reflect on what this says about photography rooted in the African continent or whether it's simply not relevant anymore to relate to the cultural roots of anyone's practice. Uh, both of you, well, working in such a diasporic manner and, and a lot of artists who participated in the Bamako encounters. Um, is, I guess my question, if I frame it differently, would say, is there anything in this theme that brought back uh, an African approach to photography? I don't want to um, generalize uh, for a continent. I'm just wondering, because I hear so many things in Rahima's practice and what she said in this conversation that do actually um, uh, give proof of um, another approach to the medium that um, 
is kind of a move away from very Western perspectives that have been put onto the medium by, uh, by its very history of uh, how it's been practiced. Would you say that these, um, uh, that the theme of this edition of Bamako Encounters allowed for um, another approach that you could say is distinctively African? Uh, no, I would say no. Uh, I would say no because uh, because I'm not sure what that means. Though I, I wish I wish I could maybe answer differently. But what I want to say is that there was definitely a desire to think about an African world, uh, which is not uh, only the continent. You know, so for instance, like, um, like, uh, um, like the, uh, um, like um, Latin America was for us part of the African world, because it is all related to uh, the notion of blackness, you know, and and a, like in a certain like uh, um, uh, history, but nevertheless. Um, these 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 um, history as well of of uh, of a colonized land and and uh, histories of um of slavery trade and all these kind of um uh, traumas I, I guess that we are trying to uh deal with are uh as well very kind of embedded and and just as what we were talking about this walk it's also kind of intertwined as well with the west so i don't think there is a kind of you know even if we put africa back together it will never be you know back to what it you know it, it this is a little bit what what i was trying to say like the healing part it's just never what it used to be it is something else you know and and just to kind of speak for myself you know like again i want to mention that uh, like mobility is a luxury. I did have like a Dutch password at some point in my life because, you know, uh, I, I really did like fight for it. And I, I did have to, uh, I mean, now I'm saying something personal, but I did have to get married for it and, and stuff like that. And at the same time, at some point as well, there was no way of going back to Africa and work from there because, you know, uh, like then there was something that kind of twisted. And then the only way of, uh, working was by being mobile, you know, so by kind of going to certain places. And at some point, if I could, I would have stayed, but it was like, you know, necessary to kind of, you know, work, you know, in certain places in order, you know, to come back. So I think this kind of idealization of the coming back is, is really problematic and, and very difficult. And, and again, I think it's, it's really, uh, it was never a desire for us to kind of, um, uh, put back Africa together, but maybe there is there was definitely a desire to think about an African world with all its its contradictions, its traumas, its grievings, but as well its its celebration. And um... yeah, I also I can really imagine that um, I'm, I might have not found the right words for my question. No, it's I can uh, no, but uh, because it's it's uh, really not my intention to ask for a generalization on what African no, sure, photography 
yeah. for God's sake, might be. <laughs> no, I understood that you uh, that you were saying. Uh, sorry, like I understood that you were saying that we were really trying to kind of criticize a certain approach of the Western like take on 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 camera. But of course, that was there. But it was just what I'm trying to say, like that we are we were all coming from so many from such mixes. Yeah, there was just something else, you know, that was much more hybrid that was there. Well, that's why I really like how you frame it in 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 calling this more the presentation of an African world, because mm -hmm. indeed uh, it's, I mean, I think it's, what is beautiful is that it's bringing together an uh, African diaspora right. as well as um, African artists still uh, really being based there. Um, and that it really expands um, the notion of what photography can be um, and how it can be related to. So mm -hmm. it really um, sounded like it was a, an exciting exploration in, um, into different uses of the medium mm -hmm. that might actually free it from um, a very, um, well, one-sided way of, of um, using the, right. using photography. Yeah, I don't think it can be freed though. I don't know, Rahima, what do you think? <laughs> whether photography can be free from yeah from from well we can we we must from a western take on it <laughs> yeah we must never forget its history yes uh nor can we ignore it or just for, yeah. yeah i think it's just this awareness of the history of photography in relation to africa i think that's what i first think of when i think about that phrase african photography or how people define you, you know, as an African photographer. I think it's not really about like a geographical location, but it's just that proximity <clears throat> and that experience of the history of photography and what it means to be in relation to this continent or to be recognized as being from this continent. Yeah, I, I really, uh, I really appreciate um, Rahima how you also opened up to translating um, what you took from your education, um, as you said, uh, also from your your master in journalism that was actually uh, at Columbia University, if I'm correct, uh, and how you actually brought that, um, well by returning to Nigeria re, um, and relating to yourself as an international journalist, but then also being a woman from the global South and how you kind of um, yeah, how that made you reflect on, on your practice and how um, you wanted, you wanted to create your own kind of storytelling. Um, so yeah, that's, I think, it's it's beautiful how you uh, how you have described that here, and uh, um, it's really interesting to hear how this has been reflected upon from um, from the perspective of the Bamako encounters, from the perspective of um, how the two of you relate to each other um, through the historic way of working, but uh, being uh, in between continents, uh, yet not really in need of relating to certain geographies, but uh, feeling the freedom to um, 
expand on ideas of uh, um, of borders cuts uh, of, of different ways of framings and and actually creating streams and and lines of uh, in interconnectivity so um, yeah maybe a final question uh, to both of you is uh, is what can we uh, expect in the f in the near future are there any um, things that you both of you would like to share well maybe we can say just that um like just elaborate more on on the camera austria because i, I don't i think i i think we did not right rahima did we no yeah we drifted i i i <laughs> probably drifted you like took you on a walk <laughs> yeah uh but maybe you want to say something about that or um i mean I think it's self-explanatory. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> what to say about it? Yeah. I yeah. think it is. I mean, the reason why we're having this conversation is because we have begun talking about that piece, and I think it's always, I think it's always an honor, because sometimes when people see and um, encounter your work, they sort of deal with it like very much like on a very superficial level. And I think these opportunities to sort of dive deeply into a certain work, I think I don't take that for granted. I think this sense of just kind of being misunderstood or people, you know, misexplaining certain works, I think, especially now, I think with the age of the internet where you have these sound bites that live on perpetually for eternity. I think it's important to really dive deep into, I think, works that we think deeply about. Mm -hmm. um, and I think especially with photography and works that come from photography. Um, so I think just this moment I mean, just this opportunity to like just talk deeply with you about a certain work, I think is really special. And I think it's quite rare to have these magazines that are willing to have pages just meditating on images. I think far and few between, I think these days, mm -hmm. just in terms of like the attention span of people. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, I guess yeah. Uh, Rahima was was um, uh, asked uh, like like she was in like they told her that they wanted to have a ten page like some pages feature in 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 Camera Austria and so she has asked me to to uh, to uh, write about her work and also to propose as well some some images. So this is how we kind of took this conversation again. And I'm, I'm very thankful because it also gave me the time and like, you know, it kind of gives me the opportunity or to 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 yeah to give this this attention and again like you know by our conversation and even today you know like so many things you have been saying to me that like immediately raises things you know uh, like that immediately um, um, have an echo on the things that I, I am so kind of deeply busy with or deeply kind of you know trying to 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 deal with and so it's it's really 
it was also quite a beautiful hazard that we could also have this conversation uh, conversation on this platform. I'm also thankful that you invited me for this because we can still like take it further. Uh, so this is the Camera Austria uh, chapter. <laughs> when is it going to be published? I, I think the next number, I'm not sure Rahima, when is it? next issue yeah in march in march yeah mm -hmm. yeah okay so march this march we can expect um, uh, a beautiful essay um that expands on the ideas that we have been uh, talking exactly. about here in this podcast yeah <laughs> oh that's great that's something to look forward to yeah. thank you both so much for uh, for your time and engagement thank you and for opening up uh, for all the listeners to this podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Follow Phone Talks on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and keep an eye on our social media for updates. New episodes in this series are released every third week of the month.